Hello and welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, the Paediatric Medical Education Podcast. My name's Ian Lewins. Welcome to the first podcast of 2021 as we welcome back Drs Damien Rowland and Ali Munro to discuss the new variant COVID. Enjoy! Hi there, my name's Damien Rowland. I'm a paediatric emergency medicine consultant at the Leicester Royal Infirmary and I'm here chatting to Dr. Alistair Munro. Ali, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Ali Munro. I'm a, a clinical research fellow in paediatric infectious diseases at the uh, NIHR clinical research facility in Southampton. Right then, so we spoke uh, last year, in fact, but probably a month or so ago by uh, the calendar, and we were talking about vaccinations, a bit about vaccinations for the, the whole of the COVID population, and then a bit of detail about children and quite a bit has changed since then because we're now in a complete lockdown and schools have closed so just in terms of a summary what happened in the last month or so that has changed the landscape so rapidly yeah a lot's changed doesn't it it almost feels like a lifetime ago that we last were speaking um I guess um, we in the UK, we had, uh, well, in England, we had a, a national lockdown in uh, November, um, but schools stayed open. And that followed a pattern that was um, uh, sort of used in quite a lot of continental Europe at the time and um, Ireland and elsewhere. And and it was relatively successful because cases started uh, falling and um, cases obviously stayed higher in children for a little bit longer and that's um, sort of a normal uh, pattern in disease prevalence because um, the, the prevalence in children tends to follow behind a couple of weeks what happens in adults so the rates started falling in adults and we were waiting for them then to start falling in kids and when the lockdown was lifted cases suddenly started exploding um, and increasing really rapidly and not just in in adults but in children as well at the same time which was an interesting uh, pattern that that we haven't really observed in the past um, and what it turned out sort of uh, afterwards um, was that you know people were obviously very surprised about this and there was this sort of hint of this this new variant that started being talked about um, of the Can virus. Can you take us through the new, the new variant actually what is new about it in terms um, of I suppose the molecular uh, yeah, so so it's got a number of mutations that um, are, it's a, it's an unusually large number of mutations essentially that um, can, are, uh, could possibly affect a number of different things about how it transmits, including potentially um, affinity for uh, the ACE two protein. Um, but uh, it's the B one one seven variant. But essentially, um, we didn't necessarily have any really strong reasons based on the genetic makeup of the virus uh, or you know any molecular biology to think that it would be radically different to the old one but it's been the epidemiology that's um, indicated that uh, this new virus may behave in a different way to uh, sort of the previously circulating strains in the UK uh, of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, so yeah, it's mainly been the uh, the epidemiological evidence that's led us to believe that it that it's um, doing something a bit different. Okay, so we were facing the situation where after the lockdown things didn't go as as planned, um, and it, it took a bit of time, I suppose, for the full realization of that to 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 really become apparent. I suppose politically rather than than scientifically. But, but a decision is then made to, to close schools. 
what should happen now? Like, what are you predicting will happen over the next couple of weeks, months? Oh, no, I don't want to try and predict what's going to happen because it's, uh, it's almost impossible to know. Um, I guess, I guess we're in a really, we're in a really precarious position. Um, the, the decision to make, to close schools, I know wasn't, wasn't made lightly. And certainly, um, part of the reason was that there were, um, early concerns voiced that increased transmissibility of this variant was um, particularly uh, noticeable in children or that uh, it may disproportionately be um, more infectious in children than anyone else. Now, that was based on um, some early evidence that um, the the number of cases in children that were caused by the new variant as a proportion was, was higher than in adults. Um, now, actually, as time's gone on, that's evened out quite a lot. And the consensus is really that the reason that was the case was when the variant started sort of taking hold in England, uh, it was in the lockdown. And so at that point, children were mixing significantly more than adults. And so they, they just happened to be, um, you know, the 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 group where it, it was. Yeah, exactly. It was just easy for the virus to take hold. And that's evened out now. And and so as it turns out, the, um, you know, the, the, the increased transmissibility is probably equally true for all age groups. Um, that's certainly what the evidence suggests and somewhere between, you know, 30 to 70 percent more, more transmissible. But basically, the, the, the things we were doing before weren't working. So the government obviously tried doing local lockdowns with restrictions for tier four. Um, we had Christmas where, you know, famously the, the government had to roll back on a lot of the promises it had made. Um, but uh, even, you know, during the holidays when a lot of the country was in lockdown uh, and schools were closed, cases were still rising. And so it was felt that, you know, regardless of how much schools contribute to transmission, they contribute something. And so if you've still got cases going up, even with schools closed, you know that opening them will will only make it worse. And so I guess um, the, they felt they were in a position where they were, were unable to do that, at least for this term. But as to what what will happen now, we really don't know how effective the new restrictions are going to be. Certainly in November, we turned things around by now um, in most of the country with restrictions that were very similar and, and with schools open. Um, so it's difficult to know what we'll be able to achieve and how quickly with the new variant, because essentially we're in a position we've, we've not been in, we've not been in before. And so with what are the other things that do you think have, have been impacted or haven't been impacted? Um, so the listeners may have heard, that there was this concern that children's wards were, were filling up with, with, with patients with, with, with COVID. And actually, the terminology becomes really important here because it's, it's not children who were ill with COVID. It, it's more likely, I presume, that it was children who were going to be in hospital anyway who happened to swab positive for, for SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, there is no evidence at all that the new variant of the, of the virus causes more severe disease. So once you're infected, you don't get any more sick than you did before. What's changed is that given the same amount of exposure, you're more likely to become infected than you were previously. And again, like we said before, there's, there's no evidence that that is more true for children than it is for adults. It seems to be equally true for everyone. Um, so certainly, We've seen rates of the virus increase everywhere, you know, to the extent that in some areas of London, it's one in 20 people have have the virus. Um, so, you know, that means that sort of by chance alone, you will have a lot of people in hospital um, 
who will test positive, even if the reason they came in was not with the virus. Do we and know that- how that compares to other kind of epidemics or pandemics? Seasonal influenza, for example, do we know how many people in the population have it at any given time? No. Well, if we do know, then I don't know. <laughs> no, but I've I've looked for comparable data, and no, I've not I've not been able to find it. But I, I wouldn't imagine it was anywhere near that high. Although it, it's probably well, we know it will be higher in children than in than in other age groups. But uh, as an incidental sort of sort of finding, no, I don't think we have that kind of data. Um, and just just while it's kind of on the, the tip of my tongue, so this impact of having more children. Who, it might not make them any worse, but it, more children have it. So what does that tell us about PIMS-TS, the, the inflammatory condition? I'd have thought that we'd have started seeing a surge in cases already, uh, and I am informed that there are kind of out, intensive care units and departments are seeing PIMS cases in, in London and elsewhere, but I'm told it's probably not going to really hit uh, until mid-February. Um, I guess... It's probably never going to look quite the same as it looked before because of the shape of the epidemic curve for children. Um, so we know that cases, obviously, when, when the first wave of the pandemic hit, there was no restrictions in place. And very, very quickly, extremely large numbers of people were infected. So in a very short time period. And then there was a lockdown and schools were closed. And really, you know, it was a quite severe lockdown for people, you know, other than other than key workers, everyone was really consigned to their homes for, for uh, weeks and months. And so, um, you know, children were not becoming infected at very high rates after that point. So there's a very steep spike in infections in children in particular, um, and then not many after that. And so that was replicated in the epidemic curve for, for PIMS. So what we saw was a very sudden uh, surge of cases. And what we've had this time around is very different. We've had a much more gradual incline in cases in all age groups, in, and in particular, actually, the age group that uh, is most affected by PIMS, which is younger school-aged children. They were one of the last um, cohorts to increase. So ch- children sort of, you know, 7 to 12, that age range is, is, the, is the median age for, for children with PIMS. And that was the sort of the age group that um, had an increase in prevalence uh, uh, after most other age groups in this second wave. And then, again, it's been sort of a steady... There's not actually been a huge change in prevalence in children since then. So I don't think we'll ever see the the big surge that we had before, but it will probably be a more... You know, this would be my prediction based on how it follows the curve, is that it will probably just see a more consistent sort of um, admission pattern uh, coming in, um, you know, uh, in, including over the next few weeks. But the spike that happened just before, I, I think cases now are not much higher than they were before Christmas. So I don't think we'll see a, you know, a spike in admissions in the next few weeks. We've not got reason to believe that would be the case at the moment. Um, and then, and then this, the what, what's going to be the impact? Do you think of this bigger? Uh, more pronounced lockdown than I think maybe some people were expecting before we knew about the variant on other diseases in children. So RSV appears to have been eradicated. Um, and what was interesting is that it, it did appear in Western Australia to, to make a bit of a comeback. I've just got to look up some some more data on on that. And it's nice to see that, that published so easily from the uh, Western Australian uh, government. But the 
do we think now that we've gone back into lockdown and this is going to really play out and then we'll be in summer that we really will miss RSV completely this year? And what does that mean for next year? Uh, that's quite a difficult question because I think it will depend on what restrictions are still in place come come that time of year, to be honest. Um I think if we are still and, you know, it's likely that we'll still be having to adhere to some levels of uh, social distancing and mask use and all of that kind of stuff, which seems to have been really effective at um, preventing, you know, widespread RSV. Well, I mean, preventing almost any RSV at all. Uh, so if that's still going on over the summer, then hopefully we'll, we'll see um still not very much of it but then i guess if uh, if a lot of restrictions are relaxed because the vaccination program's been successful or because of you know the seasonality we have got very low levels of covid and who knows you know what government policy is going to be next week let alone in a few months time then i guess we should it's worth it's something definitely worth bearing in mind over the summer and spring that we may see a resurgence of of rsv um, although hopefully by that time we, you know, we'll have uh, ample capacity to to be able to manage a uh, a sudden unexpected bronchiolitis swing <laughs> on the paediatric wards. Okay, well that's yeah, reassuring. Hopefully, um, so vaccines. So the we, we know we've got a two out now in the UK, um, and that some children's programs have have begun. Is there anything? knew that kind of pediatricians are those involved in child health need to be watching out for trying to get involved in yeah i guess um th- i know that there's plans from several of the um pharma companies and the and uh, and oxford to uh, start trials in children uh, in the coming few uh, weeks and months um and although i think the initial plans are for uh, adolescents 12 plus that there are also plans for younger children trials as well so um, if those uh, studies that are recruiting at your sites, then it's always worth seeing if you can get involved and, um, you know, try and aid recruitment for those, because the quicker that we're able to get those studies done, the sooner that hopefully the vaccine should be available for children. But it will be, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see the results uh, of, uh, you know, the immunogenicity, um, as well as the the side effect profiles in children, because, you know, the, the disease itself is so is you know manifestly so different for children than adults and we you know we think that part of that is to do with uh the immune response so um i guess it's you know it is quite quite an interesting field thinking about how uh, vaccine responses may differ um and then particularly you know um the side effect profiles i know that uh it's a pretty reactogenic vaccine well that the vaccines that are currently authorized in the uk are all quite reactogenic I don't know if you've had yours, Damien, but I was uh, not feeling a hundred percent the day following my first dose of the of the uh, of the vaccine. So, yeah, I think it. Has, surprisingly, I have I, I have the flu every year, and people kind of say, "Oh, it makes them really unwell." I've never had a problem, but having had the, the COVID vaccine, uh, I, I definitely was not right for twenty four, thirty six hours. I mean, nothing major. I mean, clearly, you complain about it with man flu and all that, but I, I got through it uh, like like a, the stoical person I am. Um, but I, I certainly, it's the first vaccine or I've had in a, a long while that's, that's made me feel unwell. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see those side of it profiles um, for, for kids as well. Yeah. Okay, so w- what does, it, I suppose, the, the, the future now hold? So we've got 
there's lockdown for uh, a couple of probably at least in a month more um we will start to, to come out of that uh, at some point this this spring i suppose um we we know that children haven't been affected probably in terms of their own illness levels we'll watch and wait to see about pims uh, we we've all expressed concerns the longer schools are closed the the more harm that is done long term for for children's mental health well well-being and a, achievement um what what's the earliest do you think we can get schools open in terms of the the volume of covid new variant we've got out there at the moment yeah that's a really good question and i think um a lot of people are thinking about that at the moment so obviously in England, the government has said that um, the February half term is uh, the sort of the next point where schools might return. Um, I guess, given how slow this uh, wave of the pandemic has been, you know, during this lockdown to turn around, I mean, cases are still rising. Whether cases will have, you know, really come down much at all by then is is anyone's guess, and I guess there's, you know, there's a real possibility that might not be the case. And then the other consideration is that, um, you know, during it sort of in London and Kent during what was, you know, an an otherwise a complete lockdown, this very managed to take hold in schools quite quickly. And whether the current uh, infection prevention measures in schools are really effective enough for, um, you know, to prevent widespread transmission at, at decent levels of community spread so you know we, we managed to keep schools open for the whole of last term which is quite impressive given uh you know how much transmission there was in the community um but whether that will be doable in the future um you know with those same levels of of uh spread i, I don't know and i guess there's got to be some real thought about um what we need to be doing if actually schools are not going to be back in session until the the summer term and 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 thinking about what the effects of that are going to be and how we can mitigate against those uh, yeah, a lot of the planning has been very short term so far and some of that's understandable because things change so quickly but i think we can see now there is not a rapid turnaround from this uh wave of the pandemic you know it's not it's not suddenly falling like a stone out of the sky and so i think we need to be ready for um the impacts if schools are really not going to be back for you know another another few months and i think there's a lot to think about there and there's there's potentially a lot that could be done okay excellent thank you very much for that i'll probably draw things to a, a close there um is there anything else that that you're particularly looking forward to in, in terms of data are there any big studies or anything else that people should be aware of i think it's trying to see the impact of the vaccines is going to be the really important thing so um, I'm looking at Israel at the moment. So they've um, had probably the most nas- most successful national vaccine campaign and have vaccinated um, a huge proportion of their elderly and most vulnerable populations um, and are, are basically waiting. To, you know, It's been enough weeks now that they're expecting to see rates decline purely on the basis of, of vaccination alone. So I think it will be really interesting to see that data and then thinking about how that will um, influence hospitalizations and, and sickness in the UK, because we're, we're doing a decent job at the moment. Um, you know, we're, we're getting pretty good vaccination numbers, especially compared to the rest of Europe. So that will be some of the data I'm most looking forward to, I'm most looking forward to seeing, so it's particularly the optimist inside me. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time as, as always, Ali. Um, and I'm sure we will speak again maybe in a month or so just, just to see hopefully that we're, we're really over the, the peak of things now uh, and looking forward to a brighter future. Thanks Great. again. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, guys. And thank you for taking the time to download this episode. If you enjoy our podcasts, please tell your friends and colleagues and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. See you soon.